0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G 2 Chris Dyer.
1: Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you again for tuning in here to Talent Talk uh, and for joining me and the uh, two guests I'm planning on having on the show here today. This is the uh, first time that you happen to be tuning in. Let me give you a little rundown on how it works. Uh, For those of you that already know, well, you can just zone off here for 10 or 15 seconds, but... Basically, Talent Talk centers around the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement, all things that I'm fascinated about and love talking about. So these are all really timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR pros, and really anyone who is or aspires to be a leader in business. So I hope that as you tune in here uh, each week, uh, whether it's live uh, to the broadcast or you're tuning out of the podcast on iTunes or maybe on the iHeartRadio uh, app or system that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your own career in a positive way. That really is the goal here—to take this great information uh, that we know our guests have and to kind uh, of disseminate it out there to, to everybody else. So, you know, I, I've met so many uh, inspiring leaders at events that I've attended or groups that I've been a part of or maybe I've spoken to. Uh, And I had the privilege of talking to them and learning from them. So this show is really designated or designed, I should say, to give you an opportunity to listen in on all of these different topics and our conversation and things that we've talked about and, again, hopefully give you something that you can use down the road, whether that road is in an hour or that road is a year from now or more. So, again, uh, Talent Talk uh, is Streamed live on the uh, TuneIn network or the app you can download here live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, and as I already mentioned, you can access it like the other 260,000 people did this last week on either the iTunes podcast or the iHeartRadio uh, system. So we've amassed such a great following. Really appreciate everyone's support. And a big thank you to everyone who's tuning in talking about it uh, giving us suggestions and sending in great questions it's really appreciated if you have questions uh specifically for my two guests today don't forget you can submit them via twitter live by tweeting your question to at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag talent talk sure if you listen to this afterwards you could even uh, send them a note that as well so my producer mike will try to feed me in those best questions and we'll work to get them into the show all right, so my guests today are Marvin Hamilton, the Chief People Officer of uh, Translation LLC, and then we'll have uh, Sarah Brennan, the founder and principal of Talent Advisor for, well, I think it's a seller, is that if I'm saying that correctly. I'm sure she'll let me know. Anyway, Sarah will join me at the second half of the show, and uh, I guess it's time to go ahead and get to Marvin. So, Marvin, welcome.
2: Hi, Chris. Thank you. Good to be here. So-
1: Oh, great to have you. So maybe tell everyone a little bit about yourself, the company you work for, what you're doing there, and of course, you know, maybe a little bit of your outlook here on what's happening in HR in 2016.
2: Sure. Uh, I'll give you just a a little bit of history, because I I think it's important as we go through the conversation, but I started as as a recruiter for a small headhunting company in (laughs) D.C. years, years ago. And and I really loved it because it was a position where I could actually help people, their careers, their families, and really making a difference for the company was truly inspiring, I was just hooked from day mm-hmm. one. Uh, I then relocated to Atlanta, where I held several positions as a journalist, primarily over about the 14 years or so that I was there. I have since moved to New York about three years ago, and I accepted a role as VP of U.S. Uh, for a media, media buying organization. Uh, and I recently moved over to an advertising company called Translation, as a chief people officer. So that's just a little bit more, a little bit about me thinking about kind of the outlook on, on HR in 2016. I I think we're moving into a really interesting place and, and not, not to overuse a cliche, Chris, I guess here it goes, but we really have to truly be business and strategic partners. And, and what I mean by that is, as business partners, we really have to be trusted advisors, not only to the CEOs and to the president, but to all of our business partners, including ops, CFOs or executive leadership team, and so there were just a couple of things I, I, I thought about in terms of really what that meant, and I love to kind of share that with you, and the audience, if I could.
1: Yeah, that'd be great.
2: So, so a couple of thoughts I had, just what it really means to be a true business partner. I, I think there's probably three things really we need to establish. One is trust, and and part of that is just really thinking through: do we have the partner's best interest at heart? Uh, do they do they think that we understand their perspective? The other thought I had around that is credibility, and really, do our stakeholders believe that? Do do they believe that we know what we're talking about? Do they see us as subject matter experts? And then, lastly, just integrity. You know, do do we operate as business partners for our core value, uh, and is that aligned with the business practices and, and aspirations of the organization and culture? So, I think as we move into this again, this interesting place. Uh, to become business strategic partners, you really need to establish that trust and credibility and, and integrity. And we can talk more about that, I guess, as we go along.
1: Yeah, it's really great, and I appreciate you kind of giving us such a good, well-rounded introduction here into who you are and kind of what you're thinking about. You know, I, I know you've you've been described by others as a strategic HR mind that's, you know, not just uh, focused on quick fixes, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the strategic role of HR and the importance of a strategic HR leader can be inside of a company.
2: Chris, I'm sorry, I just, I just, you just faded out in the last part. I apologize.
1: I said maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what how you see a strategic HR leader yep. fitting mm-hmm. into a company.
2: Sure. Well, I, I think kind of depending on the size of the company, the team, uh, kind of where the organization is in their development, and how the organization views the HR partnership. I think it can be challenging, right, for an HR business leader to juggle between some of the truly more executional and administrative tasks that are oftentimes associated with quick fixes versus real strategic initiatives. Um, but I think HR leaders have to think about not just where we're what we're doing today from a task perspective, but where we want to be in the next two to three years and how a POB and how we're going to actually make that habit happen and what contributions need to be made. Um, I think we have to think about how does that plan align with the stakeholders and the company's short term and long term goals. Um, I think if we're not thinking about that, then we're not adding value to the conversation. Uh, And and certainly if we're in a conversation where everyone else is thinking about that, (laughs) then uh, we're just you know we're we're in the wrong place.
1: Right. Absolutely. It's amazes me how many companies um, still don't look at HR as strategic. They just focus in on so many of the tactical things that they do, but don't bring them to the table to talk about strategy, to talk about how the impact uh, that the, you know, the the human element has on the organization and, and yet that's, they know that's what ends up breaking it, right. Or, or helping it succeed. And yet so many times it's just a, it's a line on a spreadsheet for a lot of executives. So, you know, it can be really, really complicated uh, to get that seat at the table. Um, Is that something that you have found is a natural progression? You're just sort of going to those places that are like that? Or did you have to kind of maybe fight for some of that, you know, positioning at the companies you've been at?
2: Well, I think it's the latter. I I think that HR has, to your point, Chris, has historically been known as kind of that almost administrative (laughs) cast business partner. And, and, And oftentimes companies, or at least some of the companies I've worked for, hadn't really seen the value of HR beyond that, and so to your point, it, it had it had been kind of a fight to the table. It's really kind of showing value, demonstrating that um, HR really was and is a critical business partner uh, that that really needs to be taken in consideration. I, I will tell you, in this role, not as much. I think this role, uh, thankfully, the CEO really knew offhand uh, what he wanted and, and the role in which HR played in his organization. But I think, Chris, you're right. That's probably more of a battle than not, still.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what really drives you then as a leader and makes you want to, you know, contribute to the to the people in your organization to empower them and help them them grow? What, what, what's sort of at the the core of that?
2: Yeah, I, that, that's a great question. I and you know, I think really, and I'm going to kind of even go back to. When I was a kid, I and mean, growing up, I, I saw a lot of people paying it forward and my parents were both teachers and my mom in particular, who's now a retired speech pathologist, but she was always helping people and always helping people on a professional level and an individual level. So the concept of helping and being the contributor was always seated, I think from that perspective. As I advanced in my career though, I realized that there was a great opportunity to add value to people in the organizations and I had a great chance to see really good leaders and how they impacted people in organizations and some actually who weren't. But what the great leaders did, they always inspired and empowered people. And I and I really think, Chris, that those who do that well, um, are are always most successful from a company and organizational standpoint. So that's what that's what motivates me, seeing people who've done it well and um, and and really make some, some great inroads to, to success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it very often comes from those people early on in our lives whether it's uh, you know immediate family or some other person that maybe you know has a real impact on us you, you kind of mentioned some pretty common groups there parents teachers things like that so it's always a good reminder i think for for us in our lives as adults mm-hmm. then to remember to be those influences and for other people as sure. well because they have such an impact on on the world going forward
2: yeah chris it, it reminds me of a, of a quote that i read and it's said something to the effect of, if serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. And, and I just thought that was awesome. And, you know, I, it, it really is that. It's really about serving, serving your best um, and serving others. And, and, and certainly in organizations, we can kind of still hold the same philosophy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I know in addition to HR management, you also have a background in recruiting, as you mentioned. That was kind of your, your starting point. You know, one of the premises of this show is a talk about talent and how the best companies manage and retain the best talent for them. And, you know, for, for recruiters today, which I'm sure differs from when you were recruiting, <laughs> um, you know, in the 90s, what what do you think they need in order to secure the top talent for companies? You know, what is what is today's recruiter, you know, what, what should they be looking for?
2: No, it, it's a great question, and yes. guess it, It's totally different than than the 90s, um, I think, both from a technological perspective and just the ideological perspective. But I think there probably are a couple things that companies need to consider when they're securing top talent. And one is, you know, do they know their culture? And I think oftentimes organizations don't recruit in the right way or they hire the appropriate talent because they don't really know um, their own culture so oftentimes there's a bad culture fit off the off the bat I think the other the other thought is companies really need to understand their brand and companies have to think about whether or not is their brand relevant to the tar- to the to the targeted candidates um, again is it you know is, is their brand that's a resonate to uh, a particular segment um, and in what way and is it relevant because if it's not then then they will not attract the right talent in the right way I think the other thing that we probably should consider. A company should consider is that they should live their core values and mission and vision statements. So, the question really is: Are the core values real? Are they evident? Um, is it a strong mission statement that a candidate can get behind? Um, does it resonate with them? Uh, another consideration is: Do you have the right ambassadors? You know, do you have the right people who are recruiting and processing people throughout the whole process? Um, so, those are those kind of a couple things that that come to mind. Um, there are others, but I think those are probably some of the top top thoughts.
1: Yeah, those are, uh, those are great, and I'm sure a lot of the our recruiters that are listening will, will appreciate that perspective. Another area that's important, you know, so we're going kind to of talk about the beginning of the process, but then, you know, once you get these great people in, retaining them is really a gigantic issue for companies.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And particularly if the culture and other factors are, are not strong, and you know, then they'll typically start just trying to throw more money at them, which doesn't usually work, at least not long-term. So, what are employees looking for in a company that makes them want to not only accept an offer of employment, but you know, also to stay beyond the first few months and maybe hopefully long and have a long-term career?
2: No, good. Again, good question. And I think it's it's interesting because retention, particularly for the advertising industry, uh, really is an issue. <laughs> um, and but I think from from what I've what I've you know from what I've to from candidates and and employees, you know it's it's really and particularly among millennials, they they want the opportunity to learn um, in both informal and formally, informally and formally. They want to be connected to their work. They want to have meaningful meaningful work. They need they want to have clear concise a clear and concise understanding of the roles um, of the roles they play to the organization and the team. And they they really want to have an opportunity for mobility, um, and that's that's very important. So it's it's really it's. You know, when you think about it, Chris, it's not really difficult, but oftentimes as organizations we don't think about those things. Uh, but those are, the, those are the things that sometimes can be easily corrected to to retain talent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it always amazes me that, you know, a lot of companies that get it, you know, that are doing their culture well, uh, they seem to be the most, you know, sort of in tune with this, and they're they're, they're trying to do even more. And then those that are complaining and losing people – don't seem to want to look in the mirror and realize that there's things that mm-hmm. they need to be doing fundamentally, you know, to their company, not not tactically, you know, strategically. Right. Like you kind of mentioned. Um, right. It's almost like I have equated it recently to you know people who go to the gym every day, and then they say, well, maybe I should go twice a day. I'll get I'll get even fitter, <laughs> right? And it's not they don't really mm-hmm. need to go an extra amount. They're already going every day. They're doing great. It's the guy or girl sitting on the couch that's overweight and you know near, going to become diabetic and all that. They're the ones at least need to start getting in the gym a few times a week, right? And yet they're the right. ones ignoring it. And I, I see this in companies all the time. Now the the overweight sick culture is doing nothing, and the cultures that are doing great are trying to do even more to be even better than everyone else, and or at least just better for their own perspective. Um, do, do you see that as well in companies, or am I uh, am I on a different uh, thought path here?
2: No, actually, that's a great analogy, um, and and yeah, that's actually a great analogy. I think you're right. I think it, you know, well, I think the, the reason that companies who are doing it well uh, want to get back into the gym, so to speak, twice <laughs> twice a day, is that because they really understand the value and they see it. <clears throat> Excuse me when when companies have strong strong cultures. It really it, it it doesn't take long for for them to see the impact, both from a talent and organizational perspective, but for for companies that aren't engaged, I, I and because it's interesting at this point in in stage of the game, I'm I'm surprised when companies are not. But I think those who are not, quite frankly, they just don't have strong leadership that has a vision around talent and what it takes. I really don't. Um, and maybe again it goes back to your analogy maybe it's just maybe they're lazy <laughs> to do it because it does require effort and it does require a kind of different way of thinking and kind of getting outside that box um which again not often companies are going to do
1: yeah and you know with the exercise model a lot of people maybe would with that example people might think about the sacrifices you have to make but really if you translate that into the employment arena there is the hard work but th- then there aren't the sacrifices there's just rewards coming in left and right i mean it's just when people are motivated and working well together and want to be at work and like their job and, and are empowered and you know really connected to what the company's trying to do and what it's trying to achieve mm-hmm. and you know it, it, it's not it's not a sacrifice it's you know it's really enjoyable um but it takes that uh that tough moment in the mirror, I think, for especially for the
2: mm-hmm.
1: upper management, for the CEO, whoever's running the yes. company, to say we've got to start doing, you know, these five things, these ten things, or whatever it may be, a lot better. Uh, no,
2: you're you're, ab- you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I I think I was just going to say it, it it really starts top down, um, and I I think that if the if the leadership isn't really kind of going through that level of rigor of kind of self questioning. Then, then it's very difficult for that to happen it has to start you know top down and then filtered into the into the organization
1: well I found something that was very interesting about your company uh, translation LLC it was that in your company's LinkedIn page it, it says that every member of our team from the CEO uh, to the intern it pursues a personal passion with contemporary culture in addition their job title. So maybe you could share a little bit about this and how this model has become effective in, in building a s- successful culture for your company.
2: No, sure. Well, it's it's what we call the the minor program, and and the philosophy is that you know everyone in life kind of has a, a passion um, that's connected more more or less to some cultural truth, and and so when we hire talent, we. We often ask, "Well, what is your minor?" So, let's say there's a, a guy who's coming in to interview for a copyright, copywriter position on our creative team, and he is a sports fanatic. He may be a skateboard, <laughs> a skateboard enthusiast. Well, that's his minor. And the idea is that if we were to hire him as a copywriter and we were to put him on, let's say, a, a sport uh, account like NBA, that his minor, his passion for whether it's skateboarding or for sports, could really inform his work in a way that we wouldn't get it otherwise. So it's it's really giving people the opportunity to kind of bring in their cultural truths and apply it to their work and create some really amazing work for, for our brands and our clients.
1: So what are some of the other potential job titles? Maybe you can kind of give us a few examples so we can better understand what you guys are doing.
2: Sure. So we have so this is how we're set up really in the organization. It's, a, it's an advertising agency. So we have on one side the creative team of uh, those who write the commercials and direct commercials and uh, the copywriters, et cetera. So that's really kind of the creative side of the house. We have account directors, uh, those who actually manage the account. So, for example, we just hired an account director on the NBA team. He came from kind of his own cultural truth. He was a, a big basketball enthusiast, and he actually came to us from Nike where he was working on uh, kind of the basketball account. So that was obviously a direct correlation. Uh, we also have a, a third group, what we call strategy, and those, those the strategy team, they think through how do they kind of create briefs to understand and crack the code of what the client needs. So those are really kind of our core our core folks um, underneath the strategy team. We have kind of a big social team on um, digital team. So all of those, all of those guys are, are really kind of the engine that drives the creative and strategy and account management of our brands.
1: Well, that's really great. And sounds kind of a fascinating model that I'm sure people would like to dive into a little bit further. Um, we're getting closer to the end of uh, our time. So I wanted to make sure we ask you uh, our questions, Two important questions and the first is is uh what are you reading right now and can you tell us about that book
2: oh sure um there's a book by john maxwell it's called good leaders ask great questions and the premise of the book is that the quality of our lives are directly proportionate to the questions that we ask and i thought it was i thought it was interesting because oftentimes as as professionals and even as hr professionals i don't think that we always ask the right questions when we're when we're trying to figure out solutions for your organization, and so the the book really kind of walks you through what what are some of the questions that are important that you can ask yourself as a leader or that you can ask team members, um, questions that you ask when resolving conflicts, etc. So it's it's really um, again it's called Good Leaders are uh, Good Leaders Ask Great Questions by John Maxwell. It's a it's a pretty short read, but it's it's very insightful and I think impactful.
1: Well, that sounds like a great uh, one to check out, and uh, a reminder to all of our uh, listeners, you can go to the PeopleG2.com blog, and we have recaps of all the shows there, we list all the books and great things that our guests mentioned that you might not have been able to write down at the moment you heard them, but we have them all full summary listed there and links to the books and uh, things like that, so... Uh, Marvin, but before we go here, how can people uh, learn more about your company if they're interested in hiring you or, or applying for a job or you know, whatever reason they may want to reach out? What's the best way for them to do that? Sure.
2: Uh, they, they can reach me directly at Marvin.Hamilton at TranslationLLC.com. I'm also on LinkedIn under Marvin Hamilton.
1: Well, fantastic. Uh, Marvin, you've uh, been a real uh, pleasure to have on the show, and we'd love to have you come back and hopefully give us an update on how things are going and what you're up to.
2: Chris, thank you for the opportunity. Love to come back anytime.
1: All right. Up next, we have uh, Sarah Brennan, who will join me after this quick commercial break.
3: Higher.
0: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information.
1: Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question for my next guest, you can send it to us on Twitter, at people g2 use that hashtag talent talk either one of those will get it over our way and don't forget you can uh, hear past shows or go back and listen to this show on uh, the itunes podcast app uh, any app or way that you can get to iHeartRadio. and you just type in talent talk once you get there and of course talent lots of ways no excuses you should be able to interact with us uh, there in in audio form, and of course, you can, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, go to the blog at peopleg2.com and you can read a recap of the shows if you prefer reading over listening. So, um, all right, so my next guest is uh, Sarah Brennan, founder of, and I hope I'm saying this right, a seller. I'm sure, she's going to tell seller. me if I said that right or not, but <laughs> Sarah, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: So, uh, how do we pronounce the, the company name?
4: Seller, like accelerating growth.
1: Got it. Acceler. I should have. I should have. It looks like it, like it would be accelerate, but seller. So fantastic. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what your company's doing.
4: Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Brennan. Um, a lot of people know me as Sarah White. I was married just last year, and so doing a, a changeover of the name has been interesting at this point in my career. But uh, I have been in the HR technology. And uh, the talent strategy industry since right around 2000. I was one of those rare people that knew in college that this was where I was going to be. And since then, it had really just amazing opportunities. Been able to work with a number of the vendors as well as companies of all sizes in the space. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started Exceller after leaving Burson. And Exceller is a boutique strategy advisory firm focused really on improving how talent and technology are working together within a business as well as working with the vendors to build products that companies actually need uh, versus just building products to sell so that's that's a little bit about us and then i also uh, relaunched hr tech Log today and that has been on a hiatus for the last uh, about 12 months
1: wow it sounds like a busy day so, uh, you know, maybe something you're pretty in tune then with what companies are doing or need to be doing to be successful. So, what are you really seeing as the keys to successful growth here for 2016?
4: Right. You know, for companies that are really looking to grow, there's a couple things they need to be looking at. The ones that are really successful have a genuine interest in growth not just uh, talking and saying they want to do it, but are actually actively making changes and looking at ways to do that. Um, And one of the biggest areas to do that is in talent, and they're realizing that company profitability is really coming back to the employees they have and the future employees that they're going to hire and so companies that are really going through growth whether that is profitability growth or actually just number of employees are really shifting the focus to be on the people in a way that we have never seen before
1: right and and you kind of mentioned that people are, are interested in growth huh? You make the argument that you know most companies really want to grow and um, are looking for that. Are, are there are there are there certain things though that they need to maybe really focus in on? Is it you know developing new you know clients or going into new markets or maybe it's you know kind of squeezing every dollar out of what you currently have now? I mean, are there some particular areas where they can really mm-hmm. see that successful growth come from?
4: Yes, absolutely. So, again, I'm going to push every single one of those things is made more successful by having the right people and the right jobs at the right time. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's really starting to look at your business. You know, it, it, I wish it was as simple as saying, okay, here's your one, two, three steps of how you grow your business. But really with all of the organizations that we worked with on the growth strategy side, every time it's a little bit different. As a leader, as a CEO or a, a VP-level employee, you have to really look at your sales cycle. You have to look at your customer support, because, and you have to look at um, your products. It's one of those three areas typically is lagging, and that is what is stopping you from growing as fast as you can be. One of the easiest ways to do that is actually just to do net promoter surveys and do research of your current customers. We do this with a lot of their vendors within the HR tech space. We've done this with other organizations. We've even done this with churches. It doesn't matter what type of organization you are. You can activate this within your own organization. And just ask people, what are you happy with? What are you not happy with? What are some areas that we can improve? How do you like our products? And really dive in and almost run focus groups of your current employees, as well as those—not um, employees. Sorry, fund focusers of your current customers, as well as the customers that leave and the customers that never buy your product. Depending mm-hmm. on the type of business you have, your sales team has spent a lot of time trying to sell and um, get people to come on board, whether it's for a service or a, a solution specifically. And just ask those people. And you'll find out some really valuable things on why people aren't choosing your product or your service.
1: And, and i am I'm be curious to see if you agree with this or not, but we have found that it, if you are very simple with the initial ask and the initial sort of process, whether it's a net promoter or it's some version of that or, you know, a single survey question, you know, something that, and then once you get your responses, then to go very deep, with those people who told you it was good or they told you it was bad because we kind of find if it's too complicated in the beginning that people just won't participate, they won't right. um, give you good feedback. Has, has that been your um, kind of experience as well?
4: Um, kind of. Um, we do a 10-question survey and we really customize the 10-question survey to each organization um, where they don't necessarily have to fill out all of them, but we find more often or not, as long as it is 10 questions or less, we're getting very high response rates to everything. Um, if you put some sort of offer in there as well at, like, you know, a, a $5 gift card to Starbucks for participating or something along those lines or even just giving away one out of everybody that participates, your um, rates also go up. I um, I am not as much of a fan as doing a single like NPR or a single question survey, because a lo- really you get that back, and a lot of times you don't know what that means. You know, if, if you have an amazing product, but your customer support is really poor, what is that NPR really representing? So I like to dive in a little bit deeper, and uh, like I said, as long as you're keeping it somewhere between five and ten questions, the fewer open-ended questions the better just make it check boxes really simple the whole thing should take no more than you know three to four minutes for them to fill out it needs to be very very quick
1: well even at 10 you're still on the relatively simple side i've seen Absolutely. i've had surveys from companies they wanted me to fill out 100 questions and you know <laughs> I 20, ran those 20 and i'm regretting ever agreeing to this and by 25 i've quit and given, <laughs> given up you know so yes yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, I um, coming from an analyst firm background. I have ran you know those surveys that you know you tell people up front. This is a thirty to fifty minute commitment, and it's you know seven hundred questions. And part of one of the things that we did when launching Acceler, one of the things that was really important to me was to uh, really just present things how I would want them as a consumer, whether that's as an applicant or as a buyer or whatever that is. And I would never want to spend more than you know a couple minutes doing a survey. I just don't have time. Everybody's too busy. So, um, But I'm somebody that likes to give feedback. And so we have found really great success for companies by really simplifying the survey but making it really good. You can have a 10-question survey that you get nothing out of, or you can have a five-question survey that you get amazing responses from. Survey design is really, really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely design in general seems to be a pretty important aspect of, of our ever-changing technological lives as people are accustomed to things being easy, they want them in a <laughs> format that they want, that they like, that they find appealing, you know, even if there is other motivations there for them they still want it in a, that, that nice little format, right. so uh, a- Apple and others have really had that huge impact on everybody else and, you know, keep it simple keep it keep it elegant and yes. nice and, and people will more likely to, to interact so uh, yep, you know absolutely. i wanted to shift gears a little bit and i know in the description of your company it kind of includes one of the, the following areas which was uh, you know that it's focused on an intersection of talent and growth so maybe you could talk a little bit about how companies can effectively recruit and or utilize their talent that's already in place to really exact the right kind of growth
4: Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see companies make is they just hire people. And their recruiting teams and whoever is responsible for hiring really is very disconnected from the overall business strategy and what the end goals are. And so we're hiring for them now versus hiring for the where we need to be or where we want to be. And uh, this is something that impacts really large organizations because they're highly um, separated and disorganized, and you know, everybody has their job, and, and you don't they're siloed. But I also really see it at startup level and at small to mid sized firms. You have companies that are, you know, 500 to 5,000 employees, and I could talk to a group of recruiters, or like even the head of talent acquisition, and they can't tell me what the business drivers and the business goals are outside of what the employee value proposition is. Um, they don't really understand the core need of each of the departments they're working with. And really, we try to help companies see and understand that connection. So if you are a company that wants to be really effective of this, you need to train your recruiters. And your recruiters and the hiring managers need to be working really closely together, not only for what that team needs and really understanding what a need versus a want is, uh, but also what type of growth that person is going to need to have within the next 12, 18, 24 months. You look at the millennials, and, and we have to remember the millennials now are in their mid-30s. So the the older end of the millennials are 35, 36 years old this year. And so it's not just these people just out of school. So you you look at this group, and they're actively changing jobs on a regular basis. They're looking for new opportunities. They want to continue to grow, and the way work is moving and technology is moving, people are just promoting through a lot faster than they used to. And so when you hire somebody, you need to be able to look at where their track is going to lead them and what's going to make sense for your organization of the skills that they have, not necessarily the experience, but what their core skills are moving forward. And one of the biggest misses that companies of all sizes are really, really poor at, and part of it is because we really haven't developed the technology to support this yet, but we're really poor at understanding the people that we already have in place, what their desires, what their skills, what they're just inherently good at, as well as what they want to do to fit that in with the future growth that we're going to have. So many people leave jobs and leave companies because they don't have opportunities for promotion because people are getting hired from within with the exact same skill set the person already has that's sitting in the chair. Right. And so uh, companies that really want to effectively do this, uh, they're going to be really strategic with the people they already have and be much more inclusive in sharing that plan. I find the... People that have the hardest time doing this are privately held family owned businesses. They're the ones that struggle with retaining the talent often the most. Um, and they're the ones that really desire understanding how to do that the most, but they're, they don't share, I guess, um, kind of the business goals and the business drivers. And, you know, the, just like we were talking about the change in technology, the change now is people want to
3: know that what their job is.
0: has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. All right, I think we got everybody back here. you on the line?
4: I am. All right,
0: sorry, sorry. for that. I we. don't know what happened there. I don't either, but let Chris pick it back oh. up here.
1: Perfect, All right. thank you. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, That's somehow okay. we had a little the technical glitch there and had a hard time getting you back <laughs> on. So, you know, maybe we can jump to, let's go ahead and talk about, you had mentioned launching today your HR tech blog. I know you've got a women of HR blog. So we got, maybe we could talk a little bit about those, what you, you do there, and maybe what also kind of drives you to have that passion and continue to, to have so many different outlets for HR.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll, I'll start. The, the HR Tech blog really was an evolution. I started blogging about talent and hiring uh, back in 2002 and um, have really – it's just been something I, I – felt I had a different voice and I had a different approach about Um, a lot of the bloggers at the time there weren't very many of them but a a lot of them were men in their you know 40s and 50s and they had doctorates and they were researchers and and all of these things and I was you know 22 and just out of college and and working in uh, hiring and I just had a different outlook I think and I started talking and amazingly people started listening and the Women of HR blog came into play probably six or seven years ago as we started sitting around and talking with a group of other women in the space that um, there really wasn't an outlet for people that weren't really ready to have their own blog but also had something to, to share. Um, these are practitioners. Almost all of, the, all of the people are fully volunteered. They contribute once or twice a month. And, you know, we have a lineup of women that just want to share their experiences in HR. They want to share best practices with other people. And it was really hard when we were starting that to have them have that opportunity anywhere else. And so that's something that um, I was a founder of and I've kind of taken a, a back seat to. Um, and then at HR Tech Log, we relaunched today again, really with the understanding that it's time to shift the story, There's a lot of research and there's a lot of content out there and a a lot of it is paid and people don't really understand that and the stuff that isn't paid is written by marketing agencies and the stuff that isn't written by marketing agencies a lot of time is behind a paid firewall and so um, I've worked in this industry a really long time and I started having some conversations with people last year and asking around and saying, hey, can I just create the idea? I want to have a blog. I want free white papers. I want free buyer's guides. I want free resource center. I want all of this information available to anybody that wants it entirely for free. And um, a couple of companies have stepped up, raised their hands, and said, we will fund you doing this. Um, with zero editorial control, with so zero editorial input, and uh, this this have at it. And so I've been so fortunate. Um, we were able to launch today, and really the goal is making technology and understanding technology accessible. You know, you don't need to download a 60 page report. Let's make it something that people are actually going to read. And I, you know, like I mentioned, I come from the an analyst background. I have plenty of 300 to 500 page reports on the HR technology space out there. Um, but what people really want, and my biggest downloaded papers are five to seven pages. And they're direct, they're core hitting, and it just lets people know some guidelines on where to move forward to. And, you know, for me, HR and HR technology is such a passion because it touches every single aspect of our life. There's nowhere that we spend more time than at work. Mm -hmm. And HR has really evolved. It isn't just about filling out forms and making people are onboarded and checking boxes. You know, what gets done in HR, whether it's through HR or it's through performance management programs or it's through how somebody gets hired, all of those pieces impact real people's lives. Um, I was on the uh, council for the Canada's Experience Awards and was part of their board uh, from very early on. And, you know, all of these things impact real people and, you know, the type of job they have, how much money they make, their, their satisfaction at work, how they are able to spend time with their kids or not. And so for me, my passion is making this stuff really simple, really easy, really uh, something that people can engage with, as well as adopt. I mean, it's not been very long that technology within human resources reached beyond HR. Now the technology we have reaches all the way down to doing quick pulse surveys and knowing what's going on, at any second with a company. It's about engaging and making sure your employees are happy. And we're looking at metrics and we're looking at analytics and we're looking at things that we've never been able to look at before. On the flip side of that, I truly, truly believe, and in the middle of writing a book around the intersection of talent and profitability of business, I know and have seen uh, the impact that having the right people and the right talent and having them really engaged has on the revenue of a business, the stats are something you know along the lines of 2.5x on revenue. When you look at the highest engaged companies to the lowest engaged companies, the profitability is there. And so, having all of this stuff in place and doing it well is a win-win for employees and businesses.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, there's my captain. Sorry. <laughs> no, it, I, I've just. <laughs> Enjoyed listening to what you were saying because I, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement with that. And it's, we were just talking with the first guest. It's amazing how many companies don't look at it that way that have this sort of old industrial revolution type of a, uh, you know, uh, perspective on how employees work, how they interact, how you motivate them, and whether that's just bad information or if it's just because no one knows anything else. It's taken a while here for, for HR to really start to put in, in thought leaders themselves, trying to really push a different narrative in, into the industry. And, and you're you're 100 right when you have that magic of right talent and those people really rallying around a, a good company and a good idea and a good culture. The sort of just magic starts to happen, and
4: it's amazing. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah, I
4: I'm actually located in Milwaukee, so I'm like in the heart of you know, you don't do this. It's like, you know, make somebody fill out the longest application they possibly can so they prove they actually want to work here. So That's a of mentality in a lot of businesses. Um, and, so, you know, it, it's it's very cultural in different parts of our country. I mean, unfortunately. Um, and so where I'm, I'm seeing it is that there's still some pockets that are holding out and not really – wanting to even accept the research. I think the research is biased, or that the research was done in order to improve the, um, the employee side of it or to take money out of the business. And so that's where we're seeing companies really achieve amazing growth or really be stagnant.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, I saw a video on your, uh, it was on your LinkedIn that it talked about 2016 trends for employee engagement. So, can you maybe talk a little bit about some of those trends, uh, you know, in this area that uh, you, you really are starting to see, or that you know, might be topics for this year? Yes,
4: absolutely. You know, employee engagement, as I've been doing my research for the book the last year, employee engagement just became more and more clear to me as something that we were spending massive amounts of money on um, and really not doing very well, partially because we were hiring the wrong people to start with, but partially because we just didn't know what we were doing. And we're spending, you know, $720 billion on employee engagement every year. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of spend locally on this. Um, and, and really, companies are making it hard for employees to want to care. And we see that by, you know, 13% of workers are engaged globally. The best places to work are still only at 67%. And so we've seen an entire crop of HR technology solutions and products that are, have popped up over the last 12 months uh, that really focus on this area. And so some of the trends that we've seen really specifically, there's a huge shift in HR technology startup to move towards engagement versus recruiting. And so I think we're going to see a lot of activity in this space where a lot of these smaller startups are going to be acquired by the bigger companies like the Cornerstones, the Workdays, the uh, SuccessFactors, the Oracles, to bring this next level into the talent management solutions that they don't currently have. We're also going to see a lot of companies just implement these on their own. Uh, the second one is Pulse versus Full Survey. So everybody's familiar with the long employee engagement survey, which you know, goes back to our surveying earlier. You spend mm-hmm. all of this time doing, and then you never tell your employees what you do, and then so they get frustrated. Or people are afraid, to be honest, because they're like, eh, I'm not sure how this really is going to work. So what we're seeing really is more quick Pulse surveying um, where we can ask two or three questions. How happy are you? It's almost doing net promoter scoring, uh, of your employees and on particular topics, and can be done really quickly with just their iPhone. Just text it out to them. It's amazing. Uh, The next part is real-time feedback and analytics. For a long time, we had a lot of technology that didn't really provide a lot of value because it wasn't giving us the analytics and it wasn't giving us the metrics. And I'm a huge believer in why are you doing something if you can't prove why you're doing it or if you can't show any value. And so analytics and feedback are actually going to be things that companies are looking at around engagement this year. Um, Later this year, I think we're going to start seeing some predictive insights and some predictive analytics and predictive technology and employee engagement where we'll be able to look at our employees' online behaviors um, and their online actions and determine who's actually going to be a flight risk or who's potentially unhappy with their company and so those i saw a number of those type of products um when i was doing my analyst days this last quarter and really amazing and kind of weird creepy i guess right um stuff that's coming out the other thing which goes back to what you and i talked about earlier on design is i think the biggest thing that we are going to see is the shift from HR being who the products are designed for, to being the end users, the employees, the managers, the C-suite, mobile-first design. Um, It's going to simplify products that, for a long time, were acceptable to be really, really ugly and really clunky and take a lot of effort. Things are just going to be simple and work much more intuitively.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. and. You know one of the one thing that I kind of really gravitated to the the several that you mentioned there was you know some of those scary analytics you know, we, we've heard some different stories <laughs> in the in the media the last you know year or two and I'm almost imagining the next story being you know the company tried to schedule my exit interview with me before I actually gave them my notice you know they had already <laughs> somehow predicted that you were already on, on your way out so uh, well we're
4: seeing the predictive analytics I mean they've been being used in marketing for a number of years now. I'm a big believer in instead of trying to reinvent everything around talent, let's use the solutions that are already out there and just shift them. But uh, there's a lot of talk of late, and I'm not sure if you have seen any of this, they're using the predictive insights and predictive analytics on the election trail and so both on the democrat and republican side they're using these to determine where they should be spending their time versus even just four years ago it was just cold call cold call cold call knock on door knock on door they're now looking and saying who's most likely to be a voter let's only focus on that let's only look at those and um You know, they have seen some massive success with a lower expenditure. And so data scientists are going to become absolutely invaluable to businesses over the next coming years.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Well, we're here at the end of our uh, conversation. I want to make sure I ask you two important questions. Uh, First is, uh, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with the audience?
4: Uh, I read crazy amounts of books I very rarely read business focused books um, I read a lot of books around psychology and believe it or not marriage and family dynamics because so much of that carries over into work dynamics and manager employee dynamics um, but I think for anybody looking for a book I think two of the best books are by Tom Peters and they are in his uh, it's leadership, Tom Peters Leadership, as well as Tom Peters design. Again, I'm pulling it all <laughs> together. They're they're very visually done and they're just a really amazing book to make you stretch how you think about topics, uh, not just, you know, diving into the topics themselves. So Tom Peters leadership, Tom Peters design, I believe there's also a Tom Peters trend and a Tom Peters talent available they're quick reads they're awesome they're
1: amazing they sound like great books to check out don't forget we will have that listed on our blog peopleg2.com blog and um, you can uh, check out the summary of this uh, show today and past shows and get the books we have links there so you don't have to write it down you can just go over there and click so final question for today is how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about your company or having you uh, help them out
4: yep absolutely um, my email address is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at Exceller.com. I'm sure there will be a link somewhere to that. Uh, you can find us on Expeller.com or also HRTechBlog.com as
1: well. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sorry we had a little technical thank difficulties you. with the phone, but we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us.
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for All having right.
1: me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and to my two guests. Uh, hopefully uh, you learned uh, something from them or uh, from our conversation today that you can take home or take back to work and uh, apply right away next week we'll have a uh, donnell Khan, president and ceo of donnell Khan associates and lynn knight president of talent function uh, so join me 1 p.m pacific standard time next tuesday until then do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today
0: You've been listening to Town Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2.